You are listening to The Essentials Podcast, Episode 9, recorded live July 29th, 2013. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to Essentials Live, Monday, July 29th. Hope you're having a great week. Uh, Monday is off to a great start. I'm Rich McCorris from King of Glory tonight, joined on my, my left, your right, by... Paul Anderson. I'm joined on my right, your left, by... Uh, Derek Hackett. Great to have you with us tonight. Tonight we're talking about uh, the issue of worship. Uh, usually when you think of worship, what's one of the first things you think of when we think of worship, Mr. Anderson? Uh, Sunday morning. Sunday morning. Hackett, what's one of the first things you think of when you think of worship? Uh, I always think of dedication, like worshiping something or someone, like adoration sort of thing. Well, talking about <coughs> worship, where should we even begin the conversation? Well, I, I, I think it would be prevalent to talk a little bit about what, what do we mean by the word worship? Like, what, what are we even talking about? I think that a discussion, if we're going to have tonight, and I think a lot of questions the viewers may have, and if that's right, throw them out there, is what, what are we even talking about? What is, what, what's the discussion even about tonight mm-hmm. at a very high level? I think it was important when I, uh, you asked me what I thought about when I thought of worship. I said Sunday morning. Part of it is I sort of did that intentionally because I think that's a common thought maybe that most people have. And then Derek mentioned that it's about devotion or worshiping something. So I think to start, I think it is critical to differentiate between the two. That worship is a thing that we do on Sunday morning corporately. That's, that's something that worship is. But then worship is a broader idea as far as what we're committed to, what we're honoring, what we're glorifying. So throughout this whole discussion of worship, I think it's important to, because sometimes I think we're going to talk about what happens when we gather. You mentioned that a little bit yesterday in your sermon. What happens when we gather, that's kind of worship as an event, as a corporate event, and then worship um, with our lives, or that, that's kind of a different thing. So I think we'll be hitting both of those. Um, yeah, when I think of the word worship, literally the word just means worth-ship. So... Basically, you're just extending worth to someone or something that has value. You're showing you're showing the value, or you're showing the worth of someone or something. The basic, if you really want to simplify it down, worship is giving someone or something honor. That's why a lot of times when you think of a picture of worship, if you type in worship under images, like under Google Images or something, you always almost see an image of people's hands raised or people in a bowed position, and they. Why? Because you're giving someone honor. When someone walks in the room and you bow to them, that's a sign that you're honoring them as a person. You're elevating them for who they are or for, for what they've done. So when you think of worship as the concept of bringing honor to someone, that can take us to the broader topic then of worship is much bigger than just Sunday morning, but all of our life is built around honoring someone or something. So when you think of the word, how you're honoring someone or something, how would you explain to someone how do you bring someone or something honor? How do you honor someone? Yeah, I think, I think that's an important question because you, you bring up the, re- the reference of bowing down or sort of raising hands to. I think in our culture today, that doesn't have as much meaning because you, you don't go to events today where we worship people or things and, and see people just bowing down everywhere, especially in American culture. I mean, there's just, you know, you don't go to a sports event and everybody's just bowing the whole time. But what you do is there's cheering and there's honor and there's collecting of merchandise and there's, there's purchasing and, and it's sort of this, 
consumeristic way to worship somebody. So like, I think basketball or football is a great example. If you want to worship somebody, what do you do? You go and buy their jersey and you wear their jersey around and you say, hey, look at me, you know, I'm Emmett Smith, I'm, you know, whoever. That's what you do to bring them worship and to bring them honors by wearing their jersey. And I think that that's a little better of an example, especially for some of us in our culture, to understand how today we ascribe value and worship to people in our culture. Another good example would be is like TV. We watch and we give these awards and we vote and we sort of give honor to people that we watch every day on the television. We don't sit in our living room and bow down to them necessarily. But we are ascribing value, worth, and honor to these people by letting them win Grammys and Emmys. And we, you know, we sit every single week and watch the same person or the same movie. And I think that that's a better example in our culture today of how we worship things. Yeah, those images that Rich mentioned, they're, they're helpful in a way, though, if, if you almost think about, this is a little bit abstract, but the attitude of your heart, it is doing that when you're worshiping something. Your heart, maybe you're not doing it physically, but your heart is in a sense bowing down or raising hands to that because of the admiration and the adulation that it's giving in that case. So you, say you may not always see that outward sign, um, but, <laughs> but the heart is doing that when it's worshiping something. Yeah, we bow down in different ways. We extend honor to someone by wearing their name on our back, which there's nothing wrong with wearing someone's jersey the problem becomes when that's the only person or thing that we honor or we give them all of our honor and we say that they're worth basically everything um, and we, they have greater value than they actually than they actually have um, so we worship extending honor giving honor to someone then extends to all areas of our life as we talk about all of life we're worshiping all the time all of life is worship um, what do you think are some difficulties right, we run into in worshiping the Lord, if we use the phrase 24-7? Um, what, what struggles do we run into worshiping the Lord 24-7 or bringing honor to God 24-7? Well, I think the hardest thing that I personally struggle with is the idea of, I think there's a direct title, obedience, when we're talking about worship. And for me, in order to bring my total devotion in my life to the Lord, what, what I know is what he's told me to do. And so I, th I think that in order to worship and to, to orient my mind toward all things Christ and toward the Creator, is really to, to be obedient to what he's telling me to do in my life. And I think it's sort of anti-worship or against worship when I am disobedient, as I'm saying, you know, what you have told me is best, eh, I'm not going to do that. And, and I think that that's the hard thing to, to bridge across when, when giving worship is realizing that part of worship is being obedient in your daily life, everyday life, obedient to the commands. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think of, it's a similar thing we talked about when we talk about sin. It feels like a little bit of this roller coaster effect. And when you talk about worshiping 24-7, you know, you, you can feel like you're on a high doing that, like you're locked in, that you're focused on God for part of that. But just all these distractions and temptations and everything seem like they're constantly hammering on you. It seems like it, it puts you in that ebb and flow that can really be discouraging because you know, it's like we're not perfect worshipers of God by any means because we're sinful, but I think we, we know what it means to worship God and we know the, the peace that that brings and the contentment that that brings and it's like we have some conviction that yes, this is what I want. This is truth right here when I'm worshiping God. Um, so when we're not in that place, maybe when we're in that, maybe more of a valley, 
it's it's extremely frustrating, but it, it just seems like we're always caught in that that up and down. So Yeah, worship um when we think of our life is basically we're in all sorts of different circumstances all the time. And one of the real questions is is that even when we have the desire to worship, our circumstances aren't necessarily going to change. We may find that we're still going to find ourselves in difficult circumstances. Yet how can we have this one constant motion of our whole life? Or how can we have this one, this one constant position of even honoring the Lord in those difficult circumstances and, and things like that? Um, what, do you think, what do you think is, um, as we talk about um, showing the worth and the value of God thing, what do you think are some ways that we show the worth and the value of God? What are some tangible ways that when someone looks at our life, they might say, wow, the, the value of God is amazing thing. The, God's worth is, a, is, a, is amazing. How, how do we tangibly show the worth and the value of God, even though the value of God is infinite? Yeah, I, I think that that's where it comes into this idea of being a little bit countercultural in some of the activities that, that we, you know, as a follower, partake in. And I think that that can really steer people's minds to realize the value that we ascribe to the creator of the world. But with that being said, an example would be is maybe I give up my Friday night and I go serve the banquet. Or even a more tangible example, something I do is I give up my Friday night to hang out with a couple people that I would just prefer not to hang out with. But I know that they're lonely and they need something to do. And so my other friends say, hey, why didn't you come to this sweet, you know, another example, play basketball with us tonight? But you were instead over down the street watching a movie. The answer is, is these guys were lonely, and I stepped out to invite them to do something. Mm -hmm. Totally countercultural. People saying, why aren't you with your friends? But it, it, and I also think this provides an opportunity. And I, and I found this in my workplaces. When you do do those countercultural things, it provides an opportunity to express where your, where your values are. Because most of those people are like, why would you do that? Mm -hmm. Instant opportunity to express value to the creator of the world to say, I serve a higher cause, you know, I'm going to care for the lonely, I'm going to care for the downtrodden because Christ called me to do that. And I think that being countercultural in some of those senses, and I don't think it has to be drastic. I mean, we don't have to run around with, you know, poles and stuff, but it can be very simple. I think that's a big thing. Like, just not idolizing what the culture idolizes, you know, can be a simple way. That's a, mm -hmm. that's a general answer, but um, keeping those things in perspective, like your sports example that you gave earlier, um, you know, following a sports team, enjoying that, but keeping it in the proper perspective when maybe sort of the cultural thing to do is that a football fan lives and breathes football, you know, that type of thing. Um, yeah, yeah there, Shannon McCurry makes a good point here. She says, we chase after eternal things instead of worldly things. That That's when we're showing the value, the worth of God is when we're doing that, when we're, yeah. when we're, putting, when we're investing in eternity rather than investing in the temporary or what is or what is seen sometimes. Uh, but one of the things that we um, haven't talked about yet about worship is the idea that worship is a response. Um, is that we're responding to something that's been revealed to us. Uh, and so, for example, as, as God's Word speaks to us and we, we learn about God, that's when we respond then to give Him praise. Same is true in the rest of our lives. When we worship other things, it's a response to becoming aware of something or to encountering something, a revelation of something. And so uh, knowing that worship is a response, it elevates the need then to um, make sure we're putting ourselves underneath proper revelation. 
constantly hearing about the good works, the greatness of God? What are some ways you think that we can put ourselves in that spot to, to better, to, to be under good revelation? Well, I think a, a big thing, that, and I think you mentioned this in your sermon, but it really hit me is when we're talking about ascribing worth to God, something about how you personally value God in your life reflects the worship that you have in your life. So if you ascribe, ascribe great and wondrous value to the creator of the world, in my life, I then in turn just naturally are going to ascribe value in worship and doing different elements. And so for me, when reading the scriptures and when trying to understand the ways that God, or things that God has revealed to us, part of it is growing in my knowledge and wonderment of the creator of the universe just in of itself you know, does it. So as God reveals things to me, as I read scripture, as I work with people, as I, in different circumstances, that wonder of who God is grows and then in turn ascribes more worship in other areas of my life. Good example being is if you read something that you're created, you know, it's revealed to us that we're created beings, that changes totally how you do all kinds of things in your life unknowingly. You know, knowing that you're created, just it just changes your view. And I think there's lots of things that are revealed in scripture that once you understand that and ascribe that to God, everything in your life can change just by having that holding that knowledge about God. I wonder too, you know, the week we talked about glory, we talked about having that understanding and just knowing the glory of God leads to this natural response, which is worship, um, as you mentioned. So then I wonder if we're not worshiping enough or well enough, is it because we don't understand God's glory enough or we haven't fully grasp that and if so what are we going to do <laughs> what are we going to do to get a fuller sense of God's glory that's going to bring about that response you know, we have such a small view of God is one of my arguments that, mm -hmm. that I think one of the reasons we struggle to, to really be saturated with the desire to honor God is that we have such a small view of God in the sense of for lack of a better term and this is exaggerating a little bit when we think of God well, for example as Santa Claus as this nice deistic figure far off who has a lot of power who bringing some good things every every once in a while thing and that's our that's our view of god rather than this view of a creator who controls the whole universe who has all power all authority not at the exact same time as that though but has also lived in human form literally in flesh has been a carpenter was born in a manger lived in a stable next to poop i mean so we got this we got to have a view of who God was, the humanity of Jesus, but also the, the deity of, of Jesus, the, the gloriousness of God. And I think the only place to get that from is saturating ourselves in Scripture to get our view of God from Scripture rather than culture. Thing. I mean, we've got to keep going back to Scripture to get our view and understanding of who God is rather than constantly going back to, to culture. Yeah. So I think when we, when we come to that point, I think it's, gonna, it's unavoidable, that response of worship. To me, is unavoidable that when there's a full grasp of the glory of God and His grace and mercy and all the things that He's done and will do, then I think you're at the point where the, the heart is just going to worship. <laughs> there's there's no alternative, really. So, one of the basic things is also remembering that we worship not not uh, we worship as a response, and one of the reasons we respond is from Romans chapter twelve, verse one. One of the famous Bible passages about worship and offering our whole life as an act of service or an act of worship is that Romans 12:1 says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers and sisters, 
by the mercies of God. That's the key word, by the mercies of God. Basically, what the Apostle Paul is saying there is he's saying, hey, look back at everything that God has done for you. Look at the, the grace of God. Look at how he's loved you even before you've loved him. Look at how Jesus has died on the cross. And now the Apostle Paul is saying, okay, in response to that, offer your whole life as an act of worship. Offer your whole life as an act of service to God alone. So it's, it's a response again. It's a response to what? The initiation of God, the mercies of, of God. I'm yeah. preaching a little bit here, so I'll settle down. That's all right. That's all right. No, I think it's an important point, though, to, to kind of get the ordering of things correctly. That there's really nothing that we're going to be able to do, starting from a point that's just ourselves and our own work, to generate this worship that is then going to honor God and maybe bring about some kind of deeper relationship. You know, we can't. We can't start with ourselves and saying, well, I'm going to worship God harder and therefore kind of improve this relationship. It's, it's seeking after God to know who He is and, you know, seeing God, God's glory, and then the response comes, which is worship. So I thought that was a good point you made. Yeah, Shannon McCurry shares another great point, reminding us, um, and not only her children, but also reminding us that um, good behavior or good works, as it says in Matthew 5, 14 through 16, hopefully shines God's light so that people see that, and what they do is they end up praising God. Things that The goal of Christian good works is not to get praise for ourselves, but is ultimately to deflect that praise onto God. And sometimes that's the most difficult thing to do. Oh, very hard. As I've heard a phrase often used before, that Christians should be good ducks. Uh, what, what? That mean, what, that mean, what that means is Christians should be good ducks because all we should be doing is ducking and so that people don't see us and they say, wow, God is awesome. Because a lot of times people see you doing good things. That's awesome that you're at the banquet. Thank you so much. Oh, that's great that you served in that, mm -hmm. that way. When really we should be like, wasn't me thing. You know, yeah. look, at, look at our God. That's a, that's a challenge. But we should be constantly ducking so that God gets the glory. So well, go no, forth I never and be, heard that one. Go forth and be a duck. Okay. I didn't know ducks actually duck though. <laughs> <laughs> Little um, animal lesson um, from yeah, the... absolutely. We might have to have the vet check on that for us <laughs> if the ducks duck, but we oh, we can duck. We'll work on that analogy a little bit, maybe <laughs> refine it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, we're on the verge of getting way off topic here. Uh, think, maybe. When we think of when we think of worship, another key aspect of worship, and especially if we look back to the Old Testament, that can sometimes really cause confusion for people, is sacrifice. Because yeah. um, the whole worship system, for lack of a better way of saying it, in the Old Testament was built around the sacrificial system. Mm -hmm. And it's constant sacrificing, constantly coming to the atonement seat, they called it, and having blood spilled over, things like that. And so, how do we understand the role of sacrifice mm -hmm. in worship? I think that's something that gets a little confusing, and we probably won't get into that a lot yet tonight as far as what the corporate worship gathering looks like. Um, but speaking to that a little bit in reference to what you're saying, is that that's where it gets a little bit confusing, I think, because in the Old Testament, there was very specific ways that God's people worshipped. And, I mean, God had it spelled out every T cross and I dotted almost, and is laid forth to the people, here's how you will worship me, here are the sacrifices and the ceremonies that you will perform. And, you know, we see that that system went away when Jesus came. New, New Testament then is virtually silent on any type of specific way that we worship. Um, there are some high-level 
you know, thoughts that Jesus gives and that we see elsewhere in the New Testament. But, um, yeah, I'm throwing that out not as so much of a, as an answer yet. I'm just I'm throwing that out there to say I'm acknowledging that there's some confusion because uh, we lost some of that clarity almost that the Old Testament did have. Yeah, I think, I think an interesting section to look at, if we look at the book, on page 98 of the book, there's an interesting line it's, um, in Psalms 24.4. It says, just one second, I'm going to hop in here. Uh, Derek's talking about page 98 of the, of the um, reference book. Of the reference book. Turns up page 98, there's some great teaching in there. Go ahead, Derek. Yeah, one of the sections that I noticed, it stuck out to me when we were talking about the sacrificial system. It says, in, it says in, on top of that page, if we look at Psalms 24.4, it says, worship, acceptable worship requires clean hands and pure heart. And, and, and that's really the, the beauty of the sacrificial system is that during the worship service, when you sacrificed and the blood was drawn, then you had your clean hands and a pure heart in order to give pure worship to the creator of the universe. And so today, one thing that we don't realize a little bit is that when we are, even in our daily lives, trying to worship the creator, we need to remove that barrier of sin. And that needs to be washed clean by Christ's blood. And so if we aren't living in a way in which we are giving our confessing forgiveness of sins through Christ, re realizing our salvation, then all the worship's for not. Because if we look, it, it's telling us that it requires that pure heart and that clean. And, and, and that's what the beauty of the whole connection of the story is, right? That when Christ died in his sacrifice for all, still plays a part in worship in the daily life today, as well as in corporate worship. Yeah. I think what it means, too, is I think it means greater freedom. I think it's, a, I think it's, it's good news in that way, even though there is some confusion, and I'll I'll go back to what you mentioned a little bit yesterday in your sermon, in the um, in the reading where uh, your sermon text, where Jesus is saying, no longer will worship specifically take place in temples or in a specific location, but now worship is something that takes place anytime, anywhere. Um, so, to me, there's a freedom there. There's a freedom from that Old Testament law and from the sacrifices and you know that's that's exactly what jesus was was doing there and that's what he was declaring i want to want to just hang on this point for a little while because a couple of things i really want to get people thinking about one of the common objections to christianity today is the inconsistency of the bible and i'm sure that people hear this all the time if you look at cnn you look at fox anywhere you look at faith blogs uh, one of the biggest um, arguments against christianity is the idea that we're taking some things of the Old Testament and picking and choosing what we want. So we need to sharpen our skills in understanding the role of the Old Testament. And especially, it causes confusion. What I would like to really encourage everyone to do is open up your concise theology book. There's a couple of pages of teaching here that I think are some of the best that I've seen. And that's on page 98 to 99. Page Right at the end of page 98 and heading into page 99 really helps us understand um, how we look, can we look at the Old Testament in regards to the sacrificial system and the setup of, of the worship and how we understand that now in light of the coming of Jesus Christ and how it applies to our life now. We need to be able to take these couple of pages, pages 98 to 99 and into 100 there, and we need to be able to succinctly express this in words that our culture can understand. That people are asking questions about this, the inconsistencies of why we take some things, take now. I really encourage everyone to tune in to those pages uh, of, of Concise Theology where he's explaining to us how Christ fulfills so much of that sacrificial system. That The point of that sacrificial system was really 
just to point forward to the coming true Messiah who, who was sacrificed once for all. And again, I really encourage everyone to really to chew on that so much that you're able to express it in your own words. I think that's, when you know that you understand something is when you're able to teach someone else it. That's always the position that I've taken. So I just really encourage everyone to spend some time there in, in that spot. Yeah. And I, I think you hit it right on with that because it is important that we realize that the essentials that we discuss here and now on this podcast aren't any different than the essentials were when the world was created. Everything is tied together. Everything is one God's story. And a lot of people say it's God's plan. But really, it is what it is, and it's all just there. And that's the, that's the beauty of the essentials. The universal truth is no matter who it is, what time it is, it's always true, mm-hmm. including this. It was true just as much 2,000 years ago during the sacrificial system as it is today sitting here. Yeah. That's definitely one of those areas where... Um, it's completely understandable um, that a non-believer or someone who doesn't know the Bible well would be confused on that and even find an opportunity to um, to go after Christians on that. Because, you know, it is confusing, and it, it looks like you have a system in the Old Testament where now we say, oh, we just don't want to do that anymore. So, we, But it's such a beautiful thing when you see how it ties together, when you get that understanding, and like you're talking about, studying the Bible, seeing how it ties together, you know, and then you come to that realization. You're like, "Oh man, this awesome. is awesome." I'm gonna keep. I'm just gonna pound on this point tonight. Do it because uh, what happened today is prime. If you haven't read your news stories today, the Pope, the, the leader of the Catholic Church, the largest church, the largest organization I'm gonna call it in the world, the largest religious organization in the world that has the most, I would call it the most religious authority, came out and said some radical things. Things that have, are gonna directly affect our culture, are gonna directly affect our church at some point. The Pope. Yes, the Pope has authority in our church, not uh, basically um, has authority because of the authority he has in the world. He said some things today about different issues, and it points. And then what happened on Twitter was I saw a bunch of tweets coming back across where again the people were saying, "Oh, Christians are picking and choosing again." Finally, they're saying now the Pope. They're saying, "Oh, the Pope is finally not being judgmental. The Pope is is being nice." And, and again, I'm gonna point to this. The reason I'm pushing this so much is that we need to understand the unity of Scripture. Thing. It's so important to be able to articulate this to the world around us, and I'm way off topic now uh, a little bit, but I just want to I want to help us understand how Jesus Christ fulfills so much of the the, the, the Old Testament, the promises of the Old Testament, and uh, the Old Testament we can learn from as an example, but more than anything, the Old Testament points us to the coming Messiah. So sorry, we're way off topic right now. We'll I mean, jump even, back in here. Even tying that in, though. You're right, though. If we look at Packer's book on page 98 there, he says, right at the end here, he says, As worship will be central in the life of heaven, so it must be central in the life of the church on earth, and it should already be the main activity in both private and corporate in each believer's life. Colossians 3.17. Basically saying, like you're saying, all of it's connected. Now, we think here and now what the Pope says and what you're saying and where worship needs to be. Well, his point is, is even when the end comes, worship is going to be an important part of both private and corporate worship. From everything that we see, and you notice he lists all the verses in Revelation about what that's going to look like. And it shows this in syncness across the board from what was, what is, and what will be. Yeah, I'm going to jump back. Great thought in that all of life is, 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 is worship there. Colossians 3, 17, I believe. Um, jump, Karen D. makes a good comment here, an interesting comment, something that definitely deserves some conversation. 
She says that people sometimes will say, well, I don't get anything out of the worship service, but it isn't about what we get, is it? Shouldn't it be what we are giving to God? He fills us with the Spirit we express out of love for our Lord. And this is, she's hitting a nail right in the head here of a major problem for all of us is this consumeristic mindset. I go to church, I go to worship, I should get our terminology correct here. I go to worship to get something out of it. And we've got to battle this in our own cultures because we want people to gather together to hear God's word and to respond in praise. But so many people are coming and trying to get something out of it when we only really get something out of it when we are completely giving in to it. It's this weird paradox that, that seeking God's glory actually in the end benefits us because we're doing the very thing we're supposed to do. But that doesn't make sense in a person's mind that's like, what's in it for me? Well, doesn't that tie right into the non-negotiable for the week? I mean, I think it really does. Corporate worship should be an outflowing of a way of life. And so this idea that Sunday morning, yes, in some senses it's set aside special, but really, if, if something you're saying, this worship service, I, I'm not getting anything out of it, well, what are you getting during the week out of your worship? Like, what, what, do you, what, do you, what is this golden nugget that you're going to all of a sudden get on Sunday that you're not getting on Wednesday at 3 o'clock at the office? Or, or this adoration that you're ascribing to the Lord? There's, so, there's something to be said there that a life of worship is an outflowing of then what becomes corporate worship on a Sunday morning or a Saturday night, whatever it is. But there's a distinct connection there, and that's what you get out of it, is that you are ascribing worth back to God. And if you're just there to get something... Yeah. It, it sounds harsh, but if you're not worshiping during the week or with your life, why do you want to come to worship on Sunday? I mean, I, now, what's it's the a, point? It's a, it's yeah, a major safety net. Thing. Yeah. It gives us a major sense of security. Mm -hmm. I've participated in this. Uh, people go through motions in a lot of areas of life. Why? Because it gives them a sense of security. They, they know it. Um, they it just allow it gives their life some pattern that that is a safety net for them and that's a danger we can all fall into is to find something to give us a safety net but again that goes back to the central problem of me centered versus versus God God centered and one of the questions I think that's might not be able to get into it tonight a little bit but talking about corporate worship is what do we do about this um, entertainment mindset thing yep. that um, I mean, it, how, do, how do we balance, not even balance, but how do we handle this entertainment mindset where people come on Sunday morning and they want to see a good show thing, but at the end of the day, it's all about being one voice bringing worship to God. So what do we do with, uh, are we there to entertain? What, what do we do? Yeah, it's so difficult to answer that because you don't know what the attitude of the, of the person's heart is that's worshiping. Um, because I, I certainly think that you can veer off too far in one direction where it is all about the show and people are coming just because they know that they're going to get that emotional lift out of it, out of watching some great music with some cool lighting and things like that. But at the same time, some people that, that come and are fulfilled by that, you know, I also believe that many of those people have the heart of worship and one of the reasons they enjoy that is because they feel that it is glorifying God because they see musicians that are skilled and that, you know, they're using their talents to magnify the Lord in, in a magnificent way. For, again, from their, from their point of view, they're thinking loud worship, you know, with good instrumentation and lights and all that is magnifying God 
in a way that he should be magnified, you know, others are going to look at that and say, well, no, I think they're just going overboard. So, you know, I think that's why this is almost an endless debate is, so how are you going to distinguish between the two to say you're right, you're wrong? It, you really can't because it's so hard to, you don't know what the heart of that, that worshiper is. Well, and, that, and that's the crux of the issue, right? Mm -hmm. Is, I mean, corporate worship in of itself, it, it truly doesn't matter the means. It's all about the people there and, and what's trying to be accomplished in them. I mean, you should, if you're a true, and, and this may be a little bold for some of our audience, but if you're truly a follower of Christ and you're truly there in a corporate worship setting to bring worship to God, it should not matter what, you know, who's playing what, who's doing what, and what's being sung, and what's, it's all preference. If, if you're a true follower, you should be able to worship Christ and bring Him glory, whether you're reciting a, a poem from the 1800s or you're singing the latest hit from who knows what. That it doesn't matter because that's not the point of corporate worship. And if we make that the point, and maybe we're going to get into this next week a little more, but if we make that the point, why do it? Like that, There's no point. It, it becomes worthless then because true worship is all about bringing glory to God. It's all about where these people are versus anything else. Yeah. I'll even say what I said just a minute ago was, was focused on the worshipers, but I'll even say from a worship leader standpoint, just because I am involved in that, um, often, you don't you don't know even from the worship leader standpoint where their heart is yeah. necessarily. So, for instance, I'll take myself as an example. Someone out in the congregation now is not necessarily going to know that my leadership, if it's coming from genuine worship, wanting to magnify the Lord, or if it's because I like people to see me up there playing and I feel good when everyone's looking at me. Yeah. You know, so. I just throw that in just to say it's not all about the worshipers out there just because, you know, at times I'm I'm in more of a the leadership position there. It's <laughs> we just don't know and that that's where we that's just one aspect of it and one angle where we that causes a struggle on that whole issue. We have some questions there, kinda of, kinda of lost track. Do you wanna what's the, one of the questions that came up here? Um I've been to dozens of other worship services, and when I look and see people listening and not participating, I have a hard time believing that's worship. Interesting point. Um, I'm not exactly sure that the participation factor is a very interesting one because in some senses, participation doesn't necessarily matter because if, if I may be participating in a way in which I'm not expressing physically. Now... I don't know. I think that that's probably an exception and not the rule. Now, if you're sit, you know, if you're sitting there twiddling your thumb and texting during church, you're yeah. probably not engaged. Mm -hmm. But if you're not singing and you don't want to go for, up for communion and you're, you know, not taking notes, does that mean you're not engaged? Yeah. I don't know. Hey, and that goes to the question, uh, Gary. Question here from Randy and Gary asks, where does worship and learning come together? Great question, because I get asked this sometimes. Of, um, well, how's a sermon fit into a Worship service. Well, I'm gonna two things really. That one is listening to God's word is an act of worship. Mm -hmm. And let's go back to the definition of worship. Worship is bringing someone honor. You honor someone by listening to their instruction, to their word. And we believe that sermons are expositions are 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 helping us understand God's word. So mm -hmm. so when listening to the sermon, we're actually honoring God because we're listening to the instruction. Of God's word for our lives, and it's just like just like I use the example of your parents. Um, you know, a parent 
if, he's talk, if a parent's talking to their son or their daughter and their son or their daughter's looking the other way, that parent is like what? Show me some respect. Turn and listen to me. Thing. Because listening, you, li- you honor them by listening. Mm-hmm. And so that's the first thing is we honor by listening. Second thing, and I think this is just as important, is that worship is a response. Therefore, we have to have something to respond to. Mm-hmm. And that's why we have to have preaching. That's why we have to have the reading of Scripture is because that reveals to us God... Uh, the, the greatness of God, and then that we respond with that, with giving honor and giving giving praise. So listening yeah, is a key think, aspect for all of us in our yeah. day-to-day lives, too. I honor God on Monday morning when I open His Word, and I, and I, and I listen um, to Him. And, and that's, a, that's a big point. I think there is some contention in the church today, depending on where you go, what is considered preaching and what is considered teaching, and, and, and what does that look like? And, and I've been a part of a lot of things, and and I don't know where the I would draw the line personally, but I do think that there's some discussion to be had. You know, h- how far, what does that look like? You know, if you're going to be teaching or if you're going to be preaching, what are some you know ins and outs? And, and that's a lot of debate about you know the leadership of a church and, and who needs to do that. But I do think that there is a key element of the worship setting is being revealed to from God through His mechanism for revealing to us, and that would be Scripture, right? So I mean. If scripture is the main mechanism for God to speak to us, that should be a central part of, of any worship service. Mm-hmm. And I think that, that, that that's an interesting thing is, is do you see, and this is where the debate comes, do you see the worship service as learning? Or do you see the, wor- what, well, I should say, do you see what's happening during the worship service as learning? Or do you see that as God revealing things to you in your life? And is there a difference between revelation of God and learning something? If I'm learning a fact, is that still a fact about it? And I think that's where the debate is. And I don't know what side I fall on. I think a lot of people would say, it's just the same thing. What's what's the difference? And a lot of people would say there's clear things revealed in Scripture that are truths that you're not learning, that God is revealing to you. And then learning things, there's a totally different understanding. And, and there's some debate in the church today about that. And I think that's interesting discussion. I don't know where I fall. I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on that either. But. Well, now we're coming to the end here. We've gone a little bit long tonight, but a good conversation about worship mainly about uh, how we honor the Lord, uh, showing the great value and His great expressing that worth yeah. back to Him. We got into some, we started getting into some really good stuff there on kind of the worship service itself, which, you know, we could talk about that a long time. I would I would make a suggestion that probably next week we're going to come back and, and maybe focus a little more directly on that. So some of the stuff that kind of got stirred up tonight, I'd encourage people to be thinking about that formulate some thoughts, questions, and maybe we can dive into that and kind of continue on with that next week. If you scroll down the page, yeah. submit your questions in the little form down there if you got something that percolates up a little bit, mm-hmm. and we can make sure to address it next week as well. Yeah. Absolutely. We're going to get into some good stuff next week. Really encourage everyone, uh, you look at the reading schedule for the Essentials campaign right now for the book, you're going to notice that we're reading some of the same chapters these next couple of weeks. And you'll notice this is not a mistake. Some of you might be saying, well, we've read this chapter Glory multiple times. Yes, that's intentional thing. So this chapter Glory is actually assigned almost every week for the last three weeks, and it's going to be assigned again next week. So hopefully you've read Glory multiple times now, and you read the chapter on worship multiple times to give us a solid foundation to, to work from. So again, bottom of the page, I encourage you to submit your questions, go from there. We're giving away an iTunes gift card tonight. Yes. An iTunes gift can card tonight. Thing you cannot win. Thing. Um, hold on, hold on. Oh, we've got a gift for uh, Mr. Hackett, I think. We did. Yeah, he won we it last week. We had a chance week. to give this to him. Yeah. Dull. <laughs> 101 questions to ask before you get engaged. 
thing. He wasn't with us last week. We didn't have a chance to present that. So that's to Derek. I just he's not engaged. He's not engaged. Just Remember, be, it says before. Before, before. It's just a just a good book, and he can pass it on to whoever he wants. He can sell it on eBay or, or hey, whatever. if you want to borrow, thing. Paul, so I'll make sure I set it right in the kitchen. I, I won't ask any questions. We're getting way There's off topic now. Bench. Way off topic now. So we're gonna we're gonna jump back in here, and uh, Karen Delamontagna. You're going to walk home tonight. not going to walk home tonight because you're not here. Thank you. have won an iTunes gift card for your participation tonight. Thanks to Karen D. for your participation. Yes, thank you. You'll receive an iTunes gift card in the mail. You can use that to uh, buy some music uh, to help uh, help you enter into a time of, of worship, time of learning. So mm-hmm. I encourage you to, uh, to do that. I encourage you to join us next Monday night, 9 p.m. Next night at 9 p.m. We're starting a little bit early. So you can get to bed a little bit earlier. So, starting a little bit early at 9 p.m. Um, we know that some like to some like to be in bed about 9:30 every night. So we're thanks. Just, we're just trying to look out for the folks out there. So. I'm I'm glad to see you right at the very end. We have been confirmed that ducks do duck. So on the end tonight, Thank remember you. ducks do duck. That's big, and then <laughs> and the reason why is because we're supposed to duck so that God gets the glory. So go Amen. forth. Go forth with good works and duck. Have a great week.